0: This Guardian Family Podcast is sponsored by Jump, the savings fund for children. To find out more, visit jumpsavings.com.
1: Hi, this is Miranda Sawyer and welcome to the Guardian's Family Podcast. In this month's show, why school playgrounds mean terrible behaviour, not from the children, but the parents. And why are the cool mums so mean and cliquey? They were quite
2: happy to chat to me, however I was never invited round for dinner. I wasn't part of the elite dinner party crowd. And I was a single parent as well, so that that put me way down low on the chavometer. Why the
1: Miliband brothers will always compete and Dave thinks Ed is copying him by a man who knows just how annoying older brothers can be. And we find out why the Raw Hyde theme tune reminds poet and performer John Hegley of those special sweetie nights with his brother in his family playlist. This is the family podcast from The Guardian. And joining me in the pod this month are Will Hodgkinson, journalist and author of *The Ballad of Britain*, guitar man and song man. You may detect a theme there. And Sarah Tucker, author of *The Playground Mafia*. Welcome. Hello. 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 <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk before we enter into all our lovely topics. Shall we establish your family lives? Will, are you? Do you have kids? Are you?
3: I've got two kids. Um, they are seven and nine, daughter and, abor- and son. Um, and I've got two parents and a brother. <laughs> that's it. And uh, that's pretty much it, yeah. Wife? I've got a
1: partner? wife. You've got, got wife. You've got one of them? I've
3: got, a, I've got the set. I've got a wife, a son <laughs> and a daughter. So. <laughs>
1: and you, we were just talking actually kind of before we started the podcast about travelling and kids and stuff. Do you find that you go away a bit?
3: I go away a lot for work. It's always for short periods of time, but it's definitely a strain. I was away recently for three weeks in the old days, I would have loved that. I was in, I was in L- L.A. for three weeks. and I thought, You know, we're filming. It's exciting. But actually, it's not that exciting, you know, when you've got two kids at home and a wife at home. And, and
1: my wife has started to hate you.
3: Well, no, I don't think she's got that <laughs> far yet, but it could happen.
1: And Sarah, you definitely travel a lot, don't you? Because you're well, a travel journalist. You're one of them proper ones. I am. I'm one of those proper ones. Yeah, I've,
0: I've uh, written a couple of books on traveling with children, um, have baby will travel and have toddler will travel because I traveled um, all over the place when um, my son, who's now 11, was uh, a baby in arms. And um, I don't have the same problems because I don't have anyone really to liaise with because I'm one of those single single mums that's restricted in the playground. But I am. I, um, I uh, I found that uh, yeah I've I've enjoyed travelling and I, I find it easy to travel with um, with Tom, and he's an only child and I'm an only child and um, so I don't have to really liaise. I have to liaise occasionally with my ex husband. If,
1: imagine I, if actually, I have to, my son has got to the point where he says, "Yes, you can go away, mummy, but um, you have to be back by the time I've counted three. And you're like, "Yeah, but love, I'm going away. For, I've got to go away and work." For <laughs> sorry about that so i just go yeah count to three and then do it quite a few times we don't invite just anyone to sit in the family podcast pod oh no you have to earn this hallowed position either through bribery have you brought your checks or by writing a personal essay on a topic of our choice, no crib sheets allowed. This month, we thought we'd look at the decision of brothers David and Ed Miliband to enter into the Labour Party leadership contest. So we called on a man who knows what it's like to compete with a brother working in the same field. Journalist Will Hodgkinson, your essay subject is Sibling Rivalry. Take it away.
3: When we were children, my brother took comfort in the fact that he was much more intelligent than me. Then we grew up, and he discovered that he was only slightly more intelligent than me. It's a shock that he's still recovering from. Watching the Band slug it out for the Labour leadership, I can't help but think that David must be feeling the same way. You go through life a couple of years ahead of your younger brother, being the first in key experiences like getting a girlfriend, going to university and reviving the fortunes of an embattled Labour party. Then your kid brother comes along and casually takes revenge for all of those years of not being allowed into your bedroom by doing it all himself perhaps just a little bit better. Surely it's only a matter of time before David runs to his mother and cries in a voice whinier than he intended, tell Ed to stop copying me. <laughs> it's taken a long time for my brother to stop going on about me copying him in everything he does. In adolescence, it would be about music and clothes. I remember his look of horror when I turned up with a pair of Winkle picker shoes that, on reflection, might have been a bit similar to the ones he bought six weeks earlier. In adulthood, the accusations of copying come less, but they still arise every now and then. It happened a few years ago when Tom picked up a guitar for the first time. I did the same thing soon after, got much better at it than him, took lessons from famous guitarists, travelled around the world on a guitar pilgrimage, and wrote a book called Guitar Man about the experience. He still hasn't forgiven me for it. To generalise for a moment, the dynamic between brothers creates certain character traits, David has the drive and vision of a born leader, trying to prove his worth to insufficiently impressed parents. Ed is the charming one, not pushing so hard as he cruises in his elder brother's wake, but he doesn't carry the same gravitas. It's an unwise decision, by Ed, at a guess, for these two brothers to compete for the same job, however much they publicly proclaim to love each other. The Cain and Abel model is a trap that never does anyone any good, In my experience, sibling rivalry is counterproductive because it involves thinking too much about your brother's achievements rather than your own, as I did back in the days when Tom was a successful journalist and I was driving a van for a brewery. It would be far better if David and Ed Miliband complemented each other's careers by making the most of their differences. Tom and I work in a similar arena. We're both writers pursuing what could be construed as similar ambitions. But actually our style and approach to writing is very different and we've learned to admire each other for that. Since leaving university, Tom has run a magazine called The Idler. With minimal and intermittent financial backing, he has kept it going for almost 20 years, somehow getting everyone from Will Self to David Hockney to contribute and presenting a philosophy based on the rejection of work culture. I could never do that. I don't have Tom's powers of persuasion and I'm too busy trying to figure out what to do with my own life to tell other people what to do with theirs. But the moment I stopped comparing myself unfavourably to Tom and went off on my own path is the point at which my own career got going, and the point at which we became more like allies than competitors. An older brother will always be an older brother, not entirely an equal. I'm still slightly in awe of Tom's frankly superior intellect, his dry wit, and his ability, which is actually quite annoying, to be convinced that he's right and everyone else is wrong. Over the years, Tom has become increasingly supportive, even if he does still have the ability to make me feel about five years old with a withering look or a curt comment. These days we get on very well, and I have a lot of love and respect for him. But I'm still not entirely sure we'll ever get to an age when we never feel the need to say, he's copying me, or it's not fair again.
1: So from your essay... One, I deduce you're the younger brother. But- That's correct. <laughs> and two, I would say, I might, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, that you're all right about it now, but you did have a little bit of problem with, with Tom's success previously.
3: Well, his success goes right back to about the age of eight, I should point out, because, <laughs> we were, because he, was, uh, he was a top... Top student, you know, he became he was top in everything. In, um, terrible at sports, I seem to remember. But he was he was kind of like the Mecon. You know, he had this incredible brain <laughs> and his little body, which was a bit of an afterthought. And that, he was, that
0: doesn't sound very attractive.
3: Oh no, he was, you know. And then later on, he got a lot of girlfriends. I mean, I had a lot to live up to when when we were kids. I mean, you know, you kind of go back to what your parents say in, in this situation a lot. And and you know, they would say that Tom would be the, you know. The super sharp one. No one could win an argument in our family with Tom. He was always right. If he came in at three o'clock in the morning when he's a teenager and woke up my parents, it was their fault for being light sleepers. And somehow they <laughs> end up believing him. Yeah. I could never do that. Yeah. He had but, this conviction.
1: But, I mean, that sounds to me that like you were a bit jealous of him when you were younger and you are not now. Is that right? No, I,
3: I, I'd say that's true. I mean, I wouldn't say, exactly say jealous. I think what it was more is that I was slightly in awe of him and he had a lot of confidence and I was underconfident when I was younger. So I think he had, um, it, you know, it was it was more sort of feeling, oh, he's so good and I'm not that, you know, I'm not that good. And so when I started doing things on my own, actually, Tom has been incredibly supportive and he's been been absolutely great. And, you know, you realise why? who are you going to compare yourself to. Yeah. You know, it's a completely different person. You may as well compare yourself to someone on the street. I mean, we're so different. And and yet there are enough things which we admire about each other to, to, so that we really get on.
1: Yeah. So that means, I, I would imagine, that you can sympathise. In the Milliband Brothers situation, your sympathies are all with Ed.
3: No, my sympathies are with both of them because I think that Ed has made a mistake. Oh, right. By, but running... by joining in. Well, yeah, I think so. Because the thing is, is that tom does a magazine called the idler imagine if i did a magazine called the lazy boy (laughs) i think that knowing the psychology of brothers i still think however much it may spur them both on there is a lot of insecurity which comes if you're running against your brother in such a high profile position i really can't see any way around that
1: Yeah. And who do you, I mean, do you genuinely think that out of the, I mean, maybe it may well be that neither of them win. Andy Burnham could win, for instance, or Ed Balls, but, but, or even Diana, but we have to mention them all. But, uh, (laughs) but, but if, if, for instance, it does uh, happen that David wins, then Ed must just feel like it, it, it kind of confirms everything he always thought, that he was always going to win. And why did I bother in the first place kind of thing? I think he's bigger than that. I think we're talking about (laughs) 40-year-old men.
0: We're not talking about 10-year-old men. Yes, but I think that hopefully by that stage they're able to control it. But
1: can you ever – there's a point, I always think, that there there is a point that you never get away from from within families to do with your brothers and sisters that – if they do something that that reminds you of your childhood, you just get the childish reaction. Well, you can't other,
3: help it. You want to throw your stuff out of the pram. Well, prat. the other thing is, is that why put yourself through all this public analysis? I mean, it's bad <laughs> enough your mum saying, what are you yeah. doing? You've got the whole, you've saying, got the whole nation going, going you know, through it. I'm
0: really pleased I'm an only child it
3: <laughs> Solves a lot of problems. <laughs> it does. I'll tell you yeah. one big tension, going out with the same girl. That you did, happened have once. you done it? Did it. That was bad.
1: I've done that with my brother. I've been out with the same brother as my my
3: brother! That's even more problematic.
1: <laughs> yeah, that was a bit problematic. <laughs> neither of us liked him, really, so it we was all right. That's all right.
3: That's not, it's just not, you know, just don't go there. It's not worth it. No. And also, I you know, I went out with her first. So I'd like to point that <laughs> out.
1: The school bell rings at 9am. The children skip happily into their classrooms... The mothers and fathers wave goodbye to their beloved offspring, and that's when the bad behaviour really begins. Oh yes, it can be lonely fighting the mummy wars. It's a viper's nest out there amongst the parents, as actor, writer and broadcaster Sue Elliott Nichols found out. I
4: met I I to I you I was so looking forward to having children to pick up at the school gates. From the outside it always seemed like such a Disney thing to do. Little did I know the invisible minefield of egos, cliques, resentments and insecurities lurking outside the classroom. And that's before we even get to the children. Oh yes, there are cliques behind them, their school gates. And woe betide you if you don't fit in on the catwalk. From the coiffured glamour mums with full makeup and full hair with time on their hands to the slightly self-important professional mums who are far too busy to loiter. And as Yabo says, there's plenty more to choose from. There's so
1: many types of cliques. There's the those that uh, basically just got up in their pajamas clique. There's the those that have obviously done a little jog and a, you know, ready for the day clique. And then there's those that are like, oh, I must go and have coffee.
4: Oh, may go to a couple of Pilates classes. Oh, no, I think that's me. Or am I in the arty clique? I'm definitely not down with the poshies. Everybody hates them. Apparently.
5: Uh, Honestly, I I try to avoid it, and I try to avoid people's gazes. I just look down at the floor, really, and try to show as little interest as possible. I I try not to allow myself to get drawn in on these conversations.
4: That was my partner, Tony. Not the best ambassador in the playground popularity politics, He doesn't care, really. He's in the turn up, pick up your kids and get the hell out of there as quickly as possible. Cleek. But you see, that's no good to me because despite myself, I loiter. But loiter at your peril because that's when all the biggest clangers are made, when you can't find any of your friends. So you try to bond with someone who you soon realise that you have nothing to say to. And then there are the uncomfortable pauses that I feel I have to fill inappropriately how the best roles in the school assemblies always go to the child of oh <laughs> the mother who's just joined our conversation as Vicky will tell you it never pays to dilly dally the conversations kind of go into a whole realm that I can't really get myself involved in um you know if people are talking about tutors uh, or anything like that then I can't quite join in with those sorts of conversations, because I just start getting, you know, aggressive. <laughs> and then I get Tourette's, um, and then I start swearing, and then, I'm, you know, oh, it all goes wrong. And then I leave going, oh, why did I say that? I was so stupid. Why did I hang around? You see, every faux pas made by you and yours may reflect very badly on your children. You don't want to be the cause of any black marks against them on the birthday party sleepover list. The playground is the prime location for others to observe and judge your family, as you do theirs.
2: I did make friends with a couple of people, but the friendships seemed to be slightly limited in that uh, they, they were quite happy to chat to me. However, I was never invited round for dinner. I wasn't part of the elite dinner party crowd. And I was a single parent as well, so that... That put me way down low on the chavometer in their eyes.
4: Well, if it's any consolation, Susan, I've never been invited to a parent's dinner party in my life. Pub? Yeah. Coffee? Often. Oh, oh no. Does that make me stuck up and superior? Waltzing off to a fancy coffee bar for a cappuccino. People might think we're in the arrogant, yummy mummy, self-righteous set or off to rebuild the school in a very assertive and capable PTA sort of way. Not that I'm not grateful to the PTA, it's just that they're, well, they're sort of scary and
2: a little bit smug.
4: And in my kids' school, just a little bit privileged.
2: I was really surprised when my son started there how how much of a class divide there was between very working-class parents, very rich ones, and a few of us who seemed to sort of be in the middle somewhere. And the the haves and have-nots just didn't seem to communicate at all. I think it is a very, very fine balancing act to try and get on with all the different types of people and I definitely felt as if the more working-class parents, when they see you chatting to the posher ones, would then think, oh, well, you just want to be in with them. So they, they might judge you in that way, but I'd really tried to negotiate the whole minefield. It is tricky. It is tricky, especially if, like me, you want to be popular with everybody...
4: Well, nearly everybody. That way, there's always someone to talk to and you're never stranded and alone in the playground like Billy No-Mates. Oh, I'm often seen scanning the astroturf, neurotically trying to catch someone's eye. Come to think of it, I was a people pleaser at school as well. Made a point of not following one group too closely, just in case I was ousted from one of them. Maybe it's not class or money, but insecurity. Maybe our behaviour in the playground is exactly that. Playground behaviour. We revert to our cutthroat ten-year-old selves justing for position in the popularity stakes. You know, you look into the children's playground when they're actually playing and you think there's a whole hierarchy going on there. There's all the sort of different areas, you know, who's in that area, who gets to be by the plant pots, who gets to be on the football bit, who gets... You know, and when you look at it as a grown-up, it just looks like a sort of array of of children all just kind of getting on with it but it's not it's completely complex and it's the same thing it's completely reflected for the adults as well well I move freely around the playground thank you very much because I've got lots of friends I'm never going to be exiled from the monkey bars again like I was in 1979 just because the coolest girl in the class Sarah Pilkington wouldn't be my best friend anymore because my mum wouldn't let me get my ears pierced I mean I needed Sarah Pilkington she was my ticket to call I had to have Sarah Pilkington so Sarah <laughs> yeah, I'm just your, listening your to that. I'm nodding.
0: I'm was, nodding and why. You were things nodding you were making furious I was making notes.
1: Sort <laughs> of <laughs> yes, yes. Well your book though, the Playground Mafia, is based on kind of on these stories, isn't it? And did you do lots of research or did you just did it just come to you? It was happening anyway. Well I
0: uh, as, as I said, when I after I got divorced I moved um, from one side of London to the other and I ended up in Richmond. And I and uh, I realised the first day I took my son to school, it was my first day as, as well. And um, I noticed all the cliques and it reminded me very much of when I was at school and the bullies and the, and the posh girls and the sweaty betties, you know, sort of in their gym gear, as the woman was saying. And um I felt uh, all the things, all the anxieties that you know the the, the people we just heard of saying about um, the insecurities, about you mustn't loiter. These people aren't your friends. The only thing you have in common with them is you've got but kids the same But did you main. want
1: them to be your friends? Because I think there's something about going to the, the to the playground about it. And sometimes I, I mean, you know, I've got perfectly cordial relationships with loads of them, but I wouldn't say any of them are friends like they're my friend friends. Well, I, does that matter?
0: Especially the vulnerable ones, also like the single mums, or the one the mums that were. Um, so like a, they had had very high powered careers and were now their career their life was looking after their children it became much more important to make a new set of friends because they they weren't using their brains as much as they were before they had a completely different social mix they weren't in the office and you either went one way you either you know join the PTA or try, got, got yourself involved as much in the school as possible or you um, sort of like you, you sort of like withered around the edges and, and you know tried to make friends where. Where you could, but it—it it, it, it was very much a case of um, you know actually an outsider looking onto it, and especially the blokes who sort of like listened to their wives coming back and sort of chatting about the playground politics or the mummy mafia, the, the, the playground mafia. They thought it was all so insignificant and petty, but it was you know and, and told them really to get a life. But it becomes very important because. It is their life, and so consequently, all these these little bickerings, these things about, you know, my daughter wasn't invited to that daughter's birthday party. You've got some mothers ringing up the mum and saying, "Why didn't you invite my daughter to your daughter's oh, that's birthday that's party? Poor You're- daughter."
1: <laughs> the daughter wasn't doesn't want that to be acknowledged. I would have thought <laughs> you wouldn't. I mean, you know, I don't know. There's there's an element to that though that it, it, in the end it should surely should be about the kids. If the kids are getting on, then why worry about it? If you don't get on with the parents, is what I think really. Now you just
0: wait. I I was I was, <laughs> I was, I was there was one mum I interviewed, and um, she was you know very sort of unashamed faced about it. She said. And when her child started school, she Googled. She Googled all the the parents' names to see what they did for a living, sort of like what sort of life <laughs> and fun. And, find, and in some cases, terrifying. she went round to the other houses to see how big their houses are. I'm not kidding you. And 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 seeing, right, my daughter can mix with that child and that child and that child, but not but that child. Like insane. I, <laughs> but she's not insane. But that was quite common. There were, there were lots and lots of stories like that. That's and, awful. And, and, although, yeah. and although my book, it's a fictional book, it's very funny, it's quite sexy – it's it's a tip of the iceberg of the of the stuff that you know some of the stuff that used to go on with me I it
1: was, it's so extreme. <laughs> Will, what about you? I mean, do you have any of this? I mean, as a as a dad, do you just swan in and out and ignore it all?
3: Um, Nose aloft. I can't I can't <laughs> ignore it entirely. I, I I'm not too. I don't get very involved in it. It's also slightly different because we live in Peckham, which is probably quite different from Richmond. Yeah. But having, <laughs> having said oh, that... Well, I'm
0: sure the Mafia exists there.
3: The Mafia exists too. I mean, actually, I'll tell you one, one thing which, is very, which I think is really noticeable. There really is a class difference. Mm. You really feel it. It's, it's you know, the, the school is lovely and the kids... It's a very incredibly mixed school, but still people separate. Not so much racially... More, more on class terms.
0: And then you have, not necessarily the PTA, but let's say the movers and shakers, the women who have had... Um, who have had a very successful career, or almost a very successful career, in the office. And they've, it's been cut short for the hiccup of childbirth. But they want to be as successful in the playground as they were in the office. And they're the ones who will be the ones who will want to know about... They'll ask lots of questions, but they'll give nothing away themselves. And I still meet mothers who are like that. They'll ask, you know, Where your ch- where's your children, where's your son going to, and which schools he applied to, and... Um, you tell them, and then you say, and, and how about yours, and... Nothing. I I usually go into the playground and I'm quite happy to stand by myself.
3: I want to get in and get out. (laughs) You know, I want to drop those kids off and get the hell out of that place.
1: (laughs) It sounds like it's the right attitude, I have to say. And now it's time for this month's family playlist featuring the very wonderful John Hegley. As he puts it himself, John is known for his exploration of such diverse topics as dog hair, potatoes, handkerchiefs, and the misery of human existence. A man who can busk, sing, recite his own poems, and tell jokes all at the same time. Here's the music that means family to him. Keep
5: rolling, rolling, rolling. Though the strangers. First track is. Rawhide theme tune because I was trying to think of a, a song that we listened to with me mum and dad. It's, it's not so much a smile that gets brought to your face by it for me. It's it's just the evocation of of these guys that are really working and this and the wordplay was is fantastic and I can never, I can never remember exactly what those words were. Roll them out, ride 'em them in, get them grab roll them in, ride them out, hit them up up, rawhide.
3: Cut them out, ride them in, ride them in, cut them out, cut them out, ride them in, rawhide.
5: <laughs> like, there were quite a lot on the radio, like, because we used to have family favourites on. On Thursday night, we all used to gather round and have sweet night. And my brother said this was a, a, something left over from, he felt left over from uh, the um, rationing days that we used to have sweet night on Thursday. You'd get two chocolate bars, a packet of crisps, and some opal fruits. And I used to nick my sister's sweets first and then have my own. I just, just sort of remember, remember this, the tune of Rawhide. Uh, and, and we used to laugh because um, Peter Dudley's grandma used to call it Rawhide. <laughs> Rawhide, and we used to like like, like that. Uh, anyway, and it's just it, it just conjures up that sitting around together, mum and dad, were there, they used to have five senior service... Uh, between them, I don't know. I used to have the third one, and um, I used to love sniffing the cigarette packet. That was <laughs> times was hard. I, it just—it's—it just takes me back. That's that song. The second track is um, for the benefit of Mr. Kite. For the benefit of Mr. Kite,
2: there will be a show tonight on.
5: My brother had got a, uh, a, a, a tape recorder in his car, which in the 60s was sort of, hey, amazing. It just was fantastic. My big brother, he's eight years older than me, driving me around, listening to music in the car. The Celebrated Mr. K performs his read on Saturday At
3: Bishop's Gate
5: Dance and the will sing as Mr. flies through the ring. Don't be late It was a sort of, such a formative time and one of the things about it for me is it was when our family was together because my brother stayed in Luton when we moved to Bristol. So to me it was a bit of a golden time for our family because there was me, my sister, mum, dad and the dog. But I was, I was the little kid, I mean I, I wasn't advanced. I only ever had one fag, didn't like it very much and went dancing and trod on a girl's foot. It, it, wasn't, it didn't go very well, so it was nice to have the respite of some good music driving around with your brother. The next track that I would like to select is um, Brim Flavasha by Corner Shop. Now, I live in Stoke Newington, and one of the members of the group lives in Stoke Newington, and we sometimes pass uh, each other and pass the time of day. It's something that I danced uh, with my daughter Isabella to. Uh, we used to dance with friends uh, to that and family, and this this piece here is i'd like to read out relates uh, to the to that it's called dancing in luton my family was not big on dancing in boyhood luton i never danced to my daddy nor he to me as a father myself i have tried to do better in this department when I was first practicing my potato dance, my daughter would bring her own spuds in from the kitchen and flourish them to the recording of Nigel's Portuguese guitar tones. Not always in time, but always intense. For some while after, she associated all dance with potatoes, and on one occasion of an impromptu domestic disco session, she hurried off to make her selections from the organic vegetable basket. And so we danced. It's a brimful of asher. sort of it's sort of it's a bit of a whirling sort of feeling to it. Um and it's just the repetitive uh uh forty-five at the end and we would sort of dance and repeat it and dance around. Uh it it's it's a joyous song and a celebration of the wideness of culture that is found on our island. I dance, I dance.
1: And John will be appearing at the first ever Stoke Newington Literary Festival in June. More details on the family podcast page. Um, so we ended there with John talking about the fact that he dances to Brimful of Asha with his daughter. Do you have any family favourites that you all waltz around the dinner table to? I have to say, we've had a few bad ones. At the moment it's thriller, which is quite hard to dance to unless you know the dance. <laughs>
3: Well, you're, you're going to think I'm trying to be cool, but it's pushing too hard by the seeds.
1: Oh, that's very, oh God, that's far too indie. I can't believe it.
3: <laughs> it's, we, we, my, my son absolutely loved it. We had oh. a, a, we had it on a tape going to France and we listened to it loads and loads.
0: you. Well, I, I um, um, Tom, he, he likes Coldplay yeah. and Joe Jackson. And um, his father is, is uh, just just like me, likes things like ACDC and Led Zeppelin. So you don't, don't look like don't, an ACDC. We... Can I just say you do not look like an ACDC <laughs> oh. fan? No, 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 no. You're like, saying you... I look square.
1: You No, like... you just don't look like a rocker. <laughs> <laughs> That's all for this month's Family Podcast. My thanks to Will Hodgkinson, Sarah Tucker and John Hageley. Don't forget to check out more fun, frolics and frustrations on The Guardian's family section every Saturday. From me, Miranda Sawyer and my producer, Sarah Peters, goodbye. (laughs)
0: Today's instalment of The Children's Guide to Bringing Up Parents, brought to you by JUMP, the savings fund for children. We're thinking about diet. Are those mums and dads eating sensibly, Alexander? Sadly, Becky, I'd say not. They're squandering cash on skinny lattes, crayfish and rocket sandwiches. Horrible bits of raw fish on little squares of rice. Ciabatta with olives, What's wrong with simple, nourishing, cheap British food? Like pizza or lasagna. Or spaghetti bolognese. Good food in good value. Leaving them with more money to spend on us. For example, by saving regularly in Jump, the savings fund for children, building up a tidy sum for us as we get older. We need a slogan to point parents in the right direction. Any ideas? Could be, yes we alone
3: Find out more about JUMP, the savings fund for children, at www.jumpsavings.com. As JUMP is an equity investment in Witten Investment Trust PLC, please remember that past performance is not a guide to future performance, and the value of your shares and the income from them can rise and fall, so you may not get back the amount originally invested. Issued and approved by Witten Investment Services Limited. Registered in England number 5272533 of 201 Bishopsgate London EC2M 3AE. Whitten Investment Services Limited provides investment products and services and is authorised and regulated by the Financial Services Authority. Calls may be recorded for our mutual protection and to improve customer service.